Okay, everybody. So this is Robin and welcome to the very first episode of Out of Curiosity. So just to set a little expectations here, sound quality, it's not going to be perfect. I'm not a professional. I don't know what I'm doing. We're going to learn together. So just bear with me as I figure this thing out and I hope you enjoy what we're bringing to the table here. Um, this first episode is going to be showing my vulnerability a lot. Um, I want to make mental health in our community, the LGBTQIA community that is, I want to make that a normal conversation topic it's there's so many people that I love and the people I love love that just are terrified and I want everybody to know that you're not alone we all have a story and I hope that this platform will let you share that and as the host of this amazing podcast, I should go first, right? Share my most painful experience to date and go from there. So I lost a partner three years ago, June 16th to be exact. <laughs> I'll never forget that day. Um, so, but I'll back up to four years prior to that. March 31st, <laughs> I went on my very first date with Amy. I wasn't sure I wanted to go out with her. I was seeing a few other girls at that time, but something about her drew me in. So I figured, what the fuck, Let, let's do it. So got my car, drove two hours to Durham, North Carolina to meet her at the movie theater. We were going to see one of the Divergent series movies and go to Olive Garden. I'm sorry, not Olive Garden. Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> so it wasn't my ideal date, but that's what she wanted to do. And as ever, the gentlewoman, that's what we did. So it was a great date. We hit it off. Um, things may have gone further than either one of us intended them to. And quite frankly, <laughs> I thought that would probably be the last time I ever saw Amy. But the next day, she texted me, and we agreed to meet up again, and things were even better the second date. By the fifth date, she made it clear to me that if I wanted to continue to see her, and anything physical were to happen with her that 
I could no longer be in any type of physical relationship with the other women that I was seeing. So I gave it some thought and ended it with the other girls. Amy was the first one that challenged me and that forced me to make that decision. So she hooked me. I began to realize a couple weeks into our relationship that my suspicions were true. I believed that she had an addiction to prescription pain medication and turns out I was correct. It didn't take too long for me to realize how deep her addiction was, but by the time I realized how drastically and deeply uh, addicted she was, it was too late for me. Like I was, I was falling for her and I could fix it, right? Isn't that what we do? We fix it. So, you know, uh, I convinced myself that it wasn't that bad, that she wasn't that addicted, that she really was in pain, that she really did have all these issues. She really couldn't sleep, so she had to have the Ambien. But slowly, after about, I don't know, our first year together, she just got worse and worse and eventually I got a prescription for Ambien for her and provided her with extra medication because that made her happy. That lasted two months, maybe three, before I couldn't do it anymore and I lied to her about why I could no longer give her the medication which led to a series of very, very loud, painful fights. <clears throat> but we always made up. She always insisted that she couldn't live without me. So we continued. I think it was probably six months later, so a year and a half into our relationship when she had her first overdose with me. I'd gone to get dinner and when I came back she was very incoherent and couldn't stand. She was turning blue so I got her to the car and I took her to the emergency room where she proceeded to come out of whatever it was that was happening and started being combative, at which point I had to hold down my partner. I had to physically restrain my girlfriend in the emergency room just so they could examine her. And at that point, I thought 
I was done. I sat with her until the next morning when she woke up and told her what had happened and explained to her that I was done. I couldn't do it anymore. I just, I loved her so much. And to watch her almost die was just something I couldn't handle. She convinced me to stay, and I did. We talked it out, and I agreed if she would go to therapy regularly, I would stay. She was also <laughs> untreated borderline personality disorder. She was diagnosed as an early teen, and her parents just never sent her to get help. And as she aged, she moved to California, met her first girlfriend who broke her heart in ways that she never knew she could be hurt, which is when she discovered over or when taking too many Ambien, she felt better. The voices in her head stopped. <laughs> and thus began the last 10 years of her life. Spoiler alert. So, back to our story. She got out of the hospital three days later after overdosing the first time with me. She stayed at my house for a couple more days and then went home. She was living with her mom because her mother had convinced her to move home from California to help take care of her because she apparently had a heart condition, which none of us have seen evidence of other than high blood pressure. But that's a whole other episode <laughs> talking about her mother. But So she went home and everything was great. A few months, we had the summer together, concerts, the beach, the lake, which is amazing. <laughs> it was everything I could want. And then things got bad again. We fought constantly. She overdosed two more times over the next year. And then the final straw with us was when things began to end is she was working at a pharmacy which I had begged her not to go to and she stole liquid morphine and began to drink it <laughs> and I can I'll never forget the feeling of driving those two hours because I hadn't heard from my girlfriend in four days and the fear of what I was going to walk into that day when I finally pulled into her driveway 
what I walked into was a completely naked Amy laying on her bed face down in a giant pool of her own vomit. Her hair was a mess and it, she had clearly not moved in quite some time. She was breathing. She was alive. <laughs> I don't know how, but she was. I very angrily woke her up and told her this was done. We were over. I couldn't, I couldn't do with it anymore. I got her up, made her strip her bed, get in the shower. Once I knew she was safely out of the shower, I went home. We spoke the next day, and she checked herself into a mental hospital. Then, a few months go by, and she was heavy on her pills, Oxy, Ambien, Percocet, Flexeril, you know, the whole cocktail, whatever she could get her doctor to give her, she was on it. And her mom found them and took them. And when she woke up, she went into a rage, went downstairs and sliced both of her ribs open in front of her mom. And then went outside, locked herself in her car, refused to get out. <clears throat> her mom called me. I, of course, came and watched her be driven away in the ambulance. And she was admitted to the psychiatric unit again that night. After two weeks in the psych unit, Amy was admitted into her first and last rehab. <clears throat> it was over those next 30 days that I began to remember the Amy that I loved. The Amy that I knew was inside and the Amy that had so much fucking potential I began to fall so deeply in love with her all over again she was happy and she was full of life and joy and the people in her house loved her and they all saw what I saw. They all saw what her coworkers saw. They just, she didn't see it. So 30 days went up. I drove to Wilmington, which was four hours away and picked her up from her rehab. She wanted to see her mom, but her mom made no effort. So, after a quick stop to see her, we went back to my house. It wasn't 
an hour after we got to my house that she was using again. <laughs> and I can just, the anger I felt when I saw that bottle in her suitcase. Just the, the, so I took the bottle while she was in the bathtub and I threw it as far as I could into the woods. Because I knew she would never find it there. And she was so high, when she realized it was gone the next morning, she had no idea where it could be. She had to tell me what she had. She lied to me about why she had it. But she's an addict, and that's what addicts do. And before any of you say anything about that, I've had my own issues with pills, and there's no judgment from me when it comes to addicts. That's why I stayed with her, because I didn't judge her for her addiction. I didn't judge her for her mental disability. I loved her. I loved her so fucking much. She just... By the time I met Amy, she was already gone. She had just gone so long, untreated and unloved and mistreated that she just, there's nothing I could do. Trust me, I tried. <laughs> but anyway, so she went home that day, or the next day, and... Things were good again, even though she was using, we weren't fighting. And then one day she got the phone call that everybody dreads. And the girl who had been her best friend for years, that she had lost contact with because of her addiction and because of her friend's addiction, was gone. She had driven off the road and hit a tree and her car burst into flames and she died. And oh god I've never heard her so angry and so sad and so hurt because just days before Sandra had reached out to her and she had ignored it because she was desperately trying to become sober. <laughs> so the guilt she felt that day when she found out that Sandra was gone was insurmountable. The next week, we attended her funeral. It was a Friday. And <laughs> I got to meet all of her friends that she had talked about, that she, her former co-workers. And it was great. Like, it was sad, but, you know, Amy seemed positive, and she seemed happy because she was reconnecting with these people that had meant so much to her 
and that knew Sandra and that loved Sandra as much as she did. I met Sandra's sister. I met all of these people who just loved Amy. And we went home and I had to go to work. So I did. It was just for three hours and Amy was supposed to come get me. And I ended up actually having to work a little over, which infuriated her. And I knew, based on the text, that she was not sober. She had gotten her hands on something. So when I finally clocked out and went outside, I could tell she was high. So we went to dinner, and she proceeded to have drink after drink after drink, and I finally cut her off, which sent her into a rage that I had never seen her go into. And we got home. I got I got her calmed down. I drew her a bath, held her while she cried and fought me, got her into the bath. And she sat there for 10 minutes and then got out and came to bed. She fell asleep almost instantly in my arms. And she would wake up every 20 minutes shaking and looking at me to make sure I was still there. I just remember she was so hot and she wouldn't take her sweatshirt off. And she was just so scared that I was not going to be there when she woke up. When, when we both woke up the next morning so I could go to work, she was angry with me again and we fought and for the first time ever she threw something at me she shattered a picture my favorite picture of her that she had given me for Christmas it was weirdly enough her senior picture like but it was she was blonde in it and I fucking loved that picture but she threw it at me and I restrained her and pushed her on the bed and just held her arm so she couldn't bite me. And I told her if she left, I would call the police because I knew she was high and I wasn't going to let her drive. But eventually I had to go to work. And she just kept saying that she wanted to be with Sandra, that she loved me, but she wanted to be with Sandra. <laughs> So, I went to work, she went home, we would text back and forth, and things started getting very angry with the two of us, and she kept demanding that I go get her pills, and that if I really loved her, I would go get her ambient, like I used to, and I refused, obviously. And that just infuriated her more. 
and eventually I was finally ultimately done and I left work I texted her that I was leaving and that would be there in two hours we fought on the phone and she told me she was going to lock the screen door so I couldn't get in because I had a key to the main door so I called her mom to ask her mom to help me and tell her what was going on that Amy and, had, Amy and I had broken up that Amy was out of her mind and I wanted to get my things and be done with it so her mom had got her mom worked third shift at the hospital and she went home and she and Amy fought <laughs> and when her mother called me back she told me that Amy was fine that I needed to stay home and that she knew her daughter and that she would be fine to just let her calm down and that tomorrow revisit everything and I just it didn't sit well with me something was wrong so I stopped about halfway into the drive and was speaking to her mom and she kept trying to call me and I wouldn't answer and then something told me to call her back and when I did she answered the phone very calmly which was not the previous times when she told me she hated me and when she told me that she doesn't want to be with somebody who would call her mom and tell on her and that she didn't love me that she had nothing but hatred for me but this time she was different she was calm and she told me that she did love me that she was sorry but that she just wanted to be with Sandra and that infuriated me all the fighting all the hurt all the love that we had been through for four years and she was saying this bullshit to me and then she said that when I had called that she was in the middle of something and that she needed to go and I refused to hang up the phone until she told me what she was doing and she told me it was none of my business and that she needed to go and I continued to refuse and I yelled at her that, I w that it was my business and that she needed to fucking tell me and then I heard a noise on her end of the phone and I didn't hear her anymore and what I I heard her snorting a line she had done this so many times before 
where she would just put the phone down, go snort a line, and walk away. I would hang up and call back and back, back, back to back until she finally answered the phone. So after yelling her name into the phone for five minutes, I hung up and called her back to back to back. She didn't answer. So I started the car and headed towards Durham. That hour drive felt like forever. I was so thankful that I was halfway there already. And the closer I got, the more I would text, the more I would call. I called 32 times in that hour. I texted dozens of times. My very last text to her was, I'll always love you. But I can never forgive you for this. I... I knew... what was happening. So... I pulled into her driveway. I tell my friend that I had been talking to that I needed to go, that I would call him back, or that I would text him back. And I got out of the car. I slowly walked up to the door and stood there. And I unlocked it. And I didn't hear the dogs, which I always heard Bear and Savannah. Savannah, in particular, loved me. And she would bark and run when I came in. And when I opened the door, they did run to me, but they were very frantic. And as I walk in the door, I look to my left towards the stairs. And there was Amy. She looked like she had on gray makeup and at first I was pissed because I thought she was trying to fuck with me and I even yelled what the fuck Amy this isn't funny and then I saw the cord <laughs> and then I saw her legs and I realized that her legs were broken And there was a cord tied around her neck. I ran, I felt for a pulse. I grabbed my phone out of my pocket and I called 911. As I ran up the stairs, and by the time they answered the phone, I had already loosened the cord and got her lowered. To where she was sitting on the steps, not hovering. The next three hours, I answered questions. I 
was forced <laughs> to stand facing her while I answered the police the police questions until finally one of the female police got me outside and I got a hold of Amy's cousin who immediately called her mom didn't tell her what happened just told her that something was wrong with Amy <laughs> and Amy had told me when we first started dating that she would never live to see 35 and she didn't but she also told me how her mom would react and it's exactly what happened That night, after her mom had left the house, and the police had left, and it was just me sitting there waiting for the fucking hearse to come get her, so I could lock the doors, <laughs> her mom calls me. And asked me about her fucking life insurance policy. <laughs> so that set the course for the next two weeks. Where I wrote her obituary that her mom never published. I begged her to do the memorial that she finally did in a church, which Amy would have hated. She had no current pictures of her. <laughs> she began stealing my pictures on Facebook and cropping me out. <laughs> and then the worst day was, actually, hold on. The memorial she didn't even invite me to speak she was the only one that spoke <laughs> but the worst day was she had texted me something and I was angry and I let her know that and she told me that she I needed to understand what she lost and that I would never be able to understand that which time I had to remind her that I had been in love with her daughter for four fucking years and that I knew her better than anybody could love know her in that while yes I didn't lose my daughter I would live the rest of my life Knowing that I heard her die on the phone that day. And that I would live the rest of my life seeing her hanging in that staircase. So when she finally picked up the ashes, close to a month after Amy's death, she showed me the small 
very, very small urn that she was giving me to make these ashes. And I asked her if we could please meet somewhere halfway, and she refused. The only way I would get my partner's ashes is if I came to the house. The house that the last time I had seen. That house was when I found her daughter. And that's when I got my first EMDR treatment. And that's when I was able to face that. It was almost a month, three weeks. I was able to face that house after that treatment. It saved my life. And I just... I wasn't in love with Amy anymore on that day. But I loved her. And it just made me so angry that this woman didn't know her daughter. The day her daughter died, on the phone with me, she told me that Amy had ruined her life and that her wish was that when she went on vacation, meaning she, meaning her mother, went on vacation, that she would just die. So she didn't have to deal with Amy anymore. This was the day her daughter died. The day that she was more concerned about her daughter's life insurance policy. <laughs> but I went to work the next day. Because when I went home that night, or that morning, it occurred to me that the last place I had seen her alive was in my house. And I just couldn't be there. So, I went to work. And I went to work every day. All day. Until the day of the memorial. And it just, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about her. It's gotten easier to deal with it. You know, I've lived and I've loved again. But I learned some valuable lessons from Amy. And she's the reason I am so fucking passionate about mental health now. It just having a safe environment for somebody and making it okay to not be okay. Because there are so many Amy's in this world. And nobody deserves to feel that way. So, <laughs> that's my Amy story.
I promise there aren't other ones that heavy and that sad. <laughs> I'm actually a pretty funny, happy person, but I just want you to know that you're not alone. That we're all here for you. So, I hope my story can help you in some way. And I hope you keep listening. I hope you come back for the next story. <laughs> and I'll make it more lighthearted and fun and engaging. And I hope you can relate to Amy in my story in the sense that we all have shit. But at the end of the day, we all deserve to be loved. And we all deserve somebody who cares about us and is there for us no matter what. And if you need that person, I can be that person for you. As I've said, this is a safe place for all people. All are welcome here. Nobody will judge you here. It is nothing but love and compassion and empathy. We're all we got. We have to support each other. So with that, I hope you enjoyed this first episode of Out of Curiosity. Again, my name is Robin, and I will talk to you soon.